I'm Lucas Mack, and welcome to another episode of The Golden Rule Revolution, where inspiration and purpose come from treating people like people and nothing less. Today, I have a friend on, Devin Santa Maria. He is a millennial, an entrepreneur, a 30 under 30 award winner here in the state of Washington, and one very smart, smart guy. And today, we're going to talk about politics, we're going to talk about the millennial generation, and we're going to talk about the power of and. Please welcome Devin Santa Maria. What an introduction, Lucas. Thank you very much. My pleasure. This is, uh, this is my first studio interview where we're in the same room together. It's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. I love it. So tell us your story. Where are you from? How'd you get to where you are? Where I'm from, I uh, grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, you know, just pretty normal kid, regular family, went to, uh, went to Catholic school growing up, and then decided to follow a girl to University of Oregon. And we got married two weeks ago. So congratulations. It can't turned, say I made the wrong out. decision. Yeah, it turned out well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, after, after graduating, we sort of looked at Portland for a little while. Didn't really find anything, so we said, let's just try Seattle. Threw all our stuff in a, in a U-Haul, drove up to Seattle. No jobs, no place to live. Lived on a friend's couch for a couple of days. Found a place to live and job within about a week, and now I'm here, sitting here with Lucas Mack. <laughs> um, when you and I first met, we got introduced by a mutual friend, mm-hmm. and we had breakfast, something I, I love. The old American diner breakfast joints. Oh, yeah. Classic. Yeah. Gritty. The plates are just saturated with butter. Just beautiful. Everything's just been scraped up by 20, 30 years of (laughs) silverware against it. It's just beautiful. Just freedom. Freedom on a plate. Um, But we started talking about quite a bit. We talked about politics. We talked about philosophy. We talked about uh, the millennial generation of which... I am year one of the millennial generation and you are towards the tail end of the millennial generation. Um, I heard on a comedy special on Netflix, I forget who the comedian was, but she created the hashtag elder millennial that this, <laughs> she's this elder millennial generation or that in the generation of the millennials, there's the, these elder millennials, which I would be one of who remember, uh, you know, actual vinyl to cassette tape to CD to digital, that evolution. But we talked about the millennial generation. We talked about work ethics. We talked about politics. We talked about religion. We talked about philosophy all in a matter of like an hour, an hour. Isn't it funny that that'd be a like scary conversation for some people now? It's great. I freaking loved it. I loved it. Oh yeah. People, people are afraid to talk. Oh, absolutely. You I don't, what was I watching yesterday? Oh, um, Vox has this new, they have this new Netflix series called Explained. And I mean, you know, you know, Vox, they're a little left to center, but they, they do the show pretty, pretty well, actually. Um, and one of the things they talk about is political correctness and sort of how it came about from, I guess, just the origins of, you know, kind of the diaspora of, different ethnic groups into Europe, into the United States, Mm. and then sort of get different perspectives on it. But they talk about how 
people are afraid to say say just about anything anymore because they're afraid that someone's going to jump on them out of a fence mm-hmm. and it's it's odd we can't have a conversation anymore without someone either making some kind of ad hominem attack or attributing malintent to something that could be very innocently or naively said which is disappointing everyone believes something people are not willing to articulate their beliefs we don't really know each other we cohabitate or we coexist in the workplace or with our friends but no one's really talking about the truth of what they believe which stifles their ability to articulate their beliefs so when the time comes of like well what do you believe in people don't know then they get upset I don't really know what I, it, and they don't even want to go internal. They just want to lash out. Oh, absolutely. I don't think people spend enough time thinking about what they believe anymore at all. I had or, a fi- you know, I, we had people over last night. Um, we had some friends from out of town and we're all sitting around the campfire. And um, this one of the, one of the, uh, one of the women that was sitting around the campfire. So, fascinating she was a showgirl in egypt in the 70s she's lived all over the world she was in music videos fascinating fascinating human being just beautiful soul and uh, really on a journey um to discover you know what it's about and she said she went to india recently and did this big intensive and she she understood that it's all about love and it was really beautiful to, to listen to her but i asked well okay so this is this is a woman. I don't know. She might be mid sixties, okay, late fifties. She's listening. I apologize. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Just your life experiences <laughs> tell me that you're older than I. Um, but uh, I asked her, okay, so so what's it all for? Then? Like, if you figured out that it's about love, then what are you going to do with that? And she said, well, I don't know. And I started asking her a series of questions. I said, let me ask you this what would you die for? What would you give your life for? And immediately, like everyone around the campfire, there's like nine of us is like, gets real somber real quick. (laughs) Everyone's like, what? But she was talking deeply with me. And so I, I went there. I wanted to know you're on this journey. You're traveling all, all over the world. You've seen people all all over the world. What, if you've discovered it's all about love, what are you willing to give your life? for? What do you, what are you willing to live? for? She said she didn't know. And I, then we started talking about, well, do, do we even know? Why don't people think about that? Why don't people think about the absolutes of their existence and like, what do they believe in politics and why do they believe that? And what do they believe in philosophy and why do they believe that? And what do they believe in religion and why do they believe that? And what do they believe about money and why do they believe that? And what do they believe about their own existence and why do they believe that? And they asked me, you know, well, what would you give your life for us? And I would give my life for to speak out against the next Adolf Hitler, the next tyrannical person that wants to eradicate human life on this planet. Um, but also, I'm going to stand for, for love. I'm going to stand for people's lives. And I'm very clear about that. Yeah, I don't think majority of people are clear about that for themselves. No, no, because once you start to once you start to deal in objective truths and absolutes, it makes you feel really small. Hmm. Which is, I think, why people love talking about space and talking about the universe. Not because it makes them feel small, 
it is a little humbling, but when you start to talk about something so ethereal that's so far away from us and how much knowledge we have about it, it starts to make you feel like you know. Mm. You know something we're not supposed to know. Mm. People, I, I, think, I think a lot of people, one, don't want to get in debate, into debate because there's a possibility they're wrong. Okay. And don't want to re-examine their positions because there's a possibility they've been wrong for a long time. But I, I don't see any value in thinking I'm right all the time. I don't know what, what peace or what joy that would bring me. It's the pursuit of debate that honestly I enjoy more than mm. anything. If I'm dead wrong, I'm dead wrong. Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, move on from there. But it's just really, really interesting. It's fascinating. You know, I, I wrote this, um, wrote this uh, thing the other night, and uh, I'm going to pull it up right now and read, uh, read from it because I've been on this this journey lately of really trying to really trying to pinpoint, you know, the truth and what is true, whether it's possible or not. And people can say, well, whatever, but this is my journey. But I wrote, if everything I believed was right and everything I knew was all there was to know, then what am I to do? with other people's beliefs and knowledge. If I were a sandbag and tore myself open and threw all the pieces of sand onto a never-ending flat surface, and I did the same for every person on planet Earth, which pieces of mine would I keep? And which would I discover that are new? Wow. That's profound. Let's unpack that. Let's talk bit. about it because truly how can any human declare all that there is to know and all that is to believe in I contain within my existence. Perhaps that is the greatest transgression of human existence that one can possibly take. Okay, I'm sorry. Repeat that first, that first part. What I read? No, what you said. Just now? Yeah. Sorry, I, caught, I got caught up rereading. If I contain, if, if all there is to know and all there is that is right to believe in is contained within me, I believe that's the greatest transgression against human existence. To profess that. That all there is, I know, I know, I believe. What I believe is right. And it's not that there's relativity in objectives. It's that humility allows us to gently walk amongst each other to discover with each other a common. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, if each of us believed that we had all the answers and knew everything that was right, then we would feel some sort of moral obligation to go out and force that on other people. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't matter if they want it. If it's right, it's right. Then you start to go against the idea of individual freedom. Yes. You start to go against other people's freedom. Yes. You start to transgress against your fellow man because you're right. It doesn't matter what they think. You're right. But that's obviously not the case. And, and 
when one is wrong. Absolutely. Is it, are, are they willing to admit? Like I am willing to admit, I think you are too, just based on what you just shared a, a moment ago. And I want to know, like, I love truth. I am a, you know, we're sitting in my office. You see the, the books I've read that, you know, I want to know what is true, what is truth. And I think perhaps you, it's interesting you brought up individual liberty. Truth makes us free. Absolutely. So we can define truth by whether one is more free or less free. Yeah, I think so. I think so to a degree. Um, there are definitely some people that just take freedom to a, they come to freedom through a different route, right? It's not, okay, I need to know the truth. It's just, I don't care. I don't care. I'm not worried about it. I'm free. Hmm. Which I find is an int- I find that I find that really really interesting in you know people I've met throughout my life. I sort of see it in the same vein as you know the people that say I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And you don't have a lot of people that say that that have read very much religious text. Or what if what if someone said I'm not spiritual, I'm religious? That, I'm, that, I might I might say that. Oh, it's funny because you don't. I've never heard someone say that I'm not spiritual, I'm religious. Yeah, religion is such a miss. It's such a hot. You know, it's a hot button. You say the word religion immediately, though. I feel people why. step back. Step back because religion has become. It's a modality. It's a it's a methodology of experiencing truth however the essence and the application have become two separately entirely separate different different things meaning the application of religion has become to constrain man but the essence of religion is to free man oh i mean absolutely you look at you look at certain parts of the history of the Catholic church, right. Or even stuff that's going on right now. And the action of man diverges so far from doctrine, so far from the Bible, so far from the gospel. It's, it's sickening at times, but there are definitely, you know, there are definitely truths within, Hmm. you know, like we've, like we've talked about with, with Judaism, stuff like like vitamin k in the body on the eighth day yeah how how do they know yeah it's how do they know i mean you know they the the ancient jews could have tried circumcising thousands of kids and figured out okay it's the eighth day yeah or and vitamin k is the coagulant vitamin so it's the highest in the human body on the eighth day so in judaism when you circumcise on the eighth day it just so happened that your body healed itself the quickest it possibly could. It's fascinating. And what, they didn't discover the biology behind that until like 2010? Uh, 2012. 2006? That's not that long ago. It's been going on for 5,000 years. Yeah. It's it, people, there's so much to know. I guess this gets back to there mm-hmm. is so much to know why not have the discussion to find out what another knows and what nuggets we can take from them 
and what beauty we can discover. Well, I think that's what I think that's what intelligent people do. Hmm. I think that's what you know, emotionally intelligent, intellectually intelligent people do. They they hold they hold their assumptions back, hold their reservations back until they're absolutely assured that those reservations and assumptions are justified. What's that quote? Um, Eleanor Roosevelt said, great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. Yeah, I'd I'd absolutely agree with that. I'd absolutely agree with that. Great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. The small mind is going to gossip or attack the individual, not allow someone to express their truth. The average mind is, those are, I, I, when I think of that, discuss events, it's typically like, and this is not to indict anyone, this is just an Eleanor Roosevelt quote, but I, I agree with it as well. It's almost like discussing significantly a the weather the weather or what you saw in natural the, disaster on or, the nightly news reel or conspiracy theorists who who claim themselves to be so enlightened yet oh, okay. are speaking about yeah. events yeah absolutely professing themselves to be wise they became fools and changed the glory of uncorruptibleness I'm quoting scripture right there. Okay. And <laughs> uh, actually, so I started to change it at the end, but professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. It's a fascinating, it's in uh, the book of Romans and the New Testament, but average minds discussing events mm-hmm. and then great minds discussing ideas. And ideas, if you even think of the word idea, the inflection is uplifting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dia, deus. I wonder if it's the root, like I in existence and Deus, like it is an idea is the inspiration of God to man back up to God, perhaps. Let's look it up. Let's take a look. Oh, this is cool. Okay. The word idea comes from the Greek I don't, know, I don't know how to pronounce that given those characters, but originally in the Greek, it means form or pattern from the root of IDN, which means to see. Mm. That's cool. That's cool. That is cool. That's really interesting. And here, here's something fascinating, I think. And why I'm so glad we're talking today specifically about millennials It's the largest generation to ever come through the American corridor. 90 million millennials. The generation that was largest previous to that were were the baby boomers at 70 million. And although they want purpose, I don't know if many ideas, like true ideas, there's a lot of innovation. They're entrepreneurial. They're smart. We're smart. We're entrepreneurial. But ideas. 
What do you think? Not a lot of philosophy going on. Not a Absolutely. lot. Not a lot of you know that ethereal thinking. It's, it's boring. It's the thinking is very functional. Yeah, very STEM, very practical, very data binary. Yeah, for zeros the, and ones. For the people that go that route. For the people that go that route. The other route is entirely feelings based. Hmm. Entirely feelings based, but it never goes past feelings. Hmm. Right? They never they never look for the root of the feeling or the good that could possibly come out of culture change right we're always talking about this lofty lofty definition of you know the words violence safety um safe spaces Mm -hmm. offense making people comfortable being comfortable is not how you grow right being comfortable is not at all how you grow. I understand certain things where, you know, there's vulnerability in certain topics, but if you're, I, I, I just don't know how some people expect to move forward without battling some of that. Right. And we're not talking about, you know, seriously, oops, seriously traumatic events that happen to people just just cultural norms that they have a difficult time with. Hmm. You know, it's really interesting to see people take offense at the slightest thing as if it's some monstrous paragon of their identity. But again, that's probably because they don't think about what's really important to them. Because if you don't think about what concepts or ideas are important to you, all you have is your identity. Which right? comes into question daily Absolutely. when confronted with a new or opposing idea or belief. Exactly. You know, I, let's say, right, I've got Hispanic lineage. If I see something in the news come up about, you know, my lineage from Mexico or family in South, South America, you know, countries that my family came from. Mm-hmm. I don't take some large offense to it because that's not, that doesn't define me. That's genetics, whatever. I've got other, we've got other important things to worry about. This is interesting. So, so people want to feel part of something greater than themselves. Absolutely. And I think what you just, they, they're, I believe they're, we're created for that. And, it's the lesser and how do I even say this? If you felt connected to all Hispanics as default, like people choose that, like identify with ethnicity. I don't know, but I'll find Lammy in a little bit. Okay. How many interruptions do you get like that? <laughs> uh, Percentage-wise. Usually I do the interviews early morning. Okay. And so the kids are gotcha. either sleeping or they're at school. So yeah, this is a real treat to get interrupted by. by oh, absolutely. Kids. I mean, you want to you talk about, you know, what, what would you die for? Yeah. God, family, country. Done. Very simple. Yeah. It's an old adage. And I, I don't know why it was drilled into me so hard growing mm. up, but that's mm. just 
It's a simple truth to me. And we will live for the, for the same. Well, absolutely. It's easy to talk about. This is, uh, I didn't uh, fully go into this when I brought it up, but it's easy to die. Yeah. It's easy to die. I mean, it's harder to live and harder to live fully. And that is our greatest purpose. So I think getting back to the millennials, they have the means to help people live more fully, but have yet to discover the greatest purpose of why is it important to help people live more fully? Sure. And I think, I think there's a, there's a vein of that. There's, there's desire to do that. I think that's why social justice has come about so aggressively because at its core, there's a, there's a, there's a positive, there's a positive driver there for most people. I think it's been largely co-opted and taken advantage of by people wishing to do harm, but there's a very positive driver behind, you know, what I think makes the individual dive so deeply into that. They want, they're looking to ease perceived suffering of, you know, un, what they see as underrepresented groups, mm. you know, repressed groups. I don't know if I'd go as far as oppressed in the U.S., but definitely in other countries there is oppression. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very interesting what ends up coming about through that right you talk about you talk about minorities for example and how certain segment of the population doesn't believe that identification is a legitimate hurdle to being able to participate in democracy for certain people Hmm. why because they don't think those people are smart enough to go to the dmv and get an id Hmm. it's that soft bigotry of low expectations So it comes, it comes full circle from a positive place and ends up in a derogatory negative place where you're looking at people as less than. You can look at people as having less and that's a valiant thing to go out and help those people with less. But as soon as that transforms into looking at them as less than, you've completely obliterated the original purpose. So this is, I'm sure you know, what you just said, it can possibly trigger a lot of people, but let's, let's unpack this a little. There's the adage, be, do, have. No one is, no one bees less than. Everyone is the same, the value. Absolutely. Absolutely. However, people do less than and people have less than. But the value, our greatest esteemed value should be in simply being so the the breath in our lungs is equal it's all the same what we do and have differs but the breath is what unites us all this is my this is my belief this is why i'm standing for people this is why this podcast exists is why the golden rule is so important so let's break down if we don't esteem being life breath possibility wonder exploration ideas contemplation articulation exploration building growing then 
we have one of two choices. We esteem doing or, or we esteem having. And people make the mistake of if I do this, then I'll have that, which will enable me to finally be, be. something else. Or if I have that, then I can do that, which will enable me to finally be something. It's completely incorrect. It is, it is actually why all this is, in my view, falling apart because people are esteeming the extensions of being as the greatest. I don't even know what to call it. The greatest purpose of of life and it's not it's life itself it's being and and as new agey as that can sound good <laughs> <laughs> make it new agey make it sexy come on now let's do it <laughs> it's being so no one is being less than and no one is being greater than do you think doing can make you be less though I certainly think like, let's, let's just make it really, really simple. Participating in evil. Does that make you less? I think you're being doing evil. Doesn't make your being less. What it does is. It minimizes your being, but okay. it doesn't drop your being to a level. If you, if we're looking at levels, there is no mm -hmm. such level as a lesser level than being. We're all on the same plane. However, mm -hmm. our greatest purpose is to make the highest impact and positive and growth and inspiration. And then, yeah, doing evil minimizes your being. Okay. Being's impact. Gotcha. But even in you know, it's the easy example. I'll use it even though it's been overused, but Adolf Hitler, evil acts, heinous, evil, pure evil, like the epitome of evil. Yet there's still breath in his lungs. So his being of value were there consequences. And this is not to, this is where people are like, Oh, every act has a consequence. Sure. For sure. He sure. deserved to die because he was taking away the being of others. And when we take away the being of others, that, that cannot be because being is to grow, to explore, to, I mean, look what God told man in Genesis one twenty six. He said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue, have dominion. The five things I believe every human being on planet Earth intrinsically desires is to be, this is not about children or like, we think of this as like genetically being multiplied and fruitful. No way, no way. No way whatsoever. It's be fruitful and everything you do, if you're not bearing fruit, if you're not, if your being is not increasing, you're not going to be happy. Like your job, I never got a raise. I was working the same thing. No one would ever be happy. And then multiply. So one turns into many. The business owner, the job, you know, the one sale. It's not that if you're in sales, 
the one sale you got. It's not going to satiate you. It's certainly not going to keep your job. It has to multiply. Then replenish, that you constantly go back to the ground and you stay connected to the earth and you replenish and you cultivate and you make sure that it doesn't become fallow and hard. That's why tears are so important to keep the heart soft, like rain is so important to keep the soil soft. Then subdue, go out, be an explorer. Man was created, mankind was created to go out and find and explore and all these things and then have dominion. Like Malcolm Gladwell wrote the book, um, was it The Tipping Point, talking about, mm -hmm. five, what was it, 5,000 hours, 10,000 hours, five years, you're a master at something. That's when, that's when things start happening for you. Yeah, because you finally had dominion and then you're finally happy. That's why, mm -hmm. this is what I believe, brother, is when people learned a craft or a trade, they could, they're colonists, like they didn't have money, who, they didn't care. They had dominion over a craft. They knew yeah. their own existence and the value of their being. So it didn't matter what they had. They were masters. And that's why people can't understand in the West. Why, how can someone in Africa be happy? Well, it's because they're fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue. They have dominion over exactly their world. Perhaps that's an, you know, mm -hmm. I'm using that as a point. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, so I'm just going to adjust my seat here really quick. There's a lot there. There's definitely a lot there. There's definitely a lot there. I mean, I think the, the, the trade, the trade analogy is particularly interesting. Because it goes, it goes back to that be, do, have, mm -hmm. right? It isn't, it isn't the doing that makes that, let's say, blacksmith secure. It's the being. Yeah, that he's a blacksmith. That, that he's a blacksmith. He's a master blacksmith. What he can do is important, but what he is, is the value. And, and... I think what we have is a generation what has yet to master something. Oh, absolutely. Therefore they're not happy. Absolutely. And it's partially partially comes out of, you know, the the dot com boom and then the recession and now we're coming, you know, pulling really hard out of that. People change jobs a lot. I know people that, you know, they're at a job for a year, even less. There's no way you can master something that quickly. Right. Master something to have, you know, fulfillment right. quickly. And I'll, pro I'll probably be, be guilty of that as well. Who knows? Five years is a long time. I've got a lot I want to do in five years. So. why does it this is a why does it feel like a long time is it in relation to how long someone's lived perhaps that's why it feels like a long time however 
without vision, the people perish. And so if you have a vision of how long you'll live, five years is not that long. If you, if you're like, I'm living till I'm 120 years old, five years. Great. Sure. Sure. Invest those five years to crush this. Absolutely. Absolutely. If it's something you're interested in crushing. Right. I think there's a lot of, You know what it is? There's, there's so much option out there now. There's so many options on what you can do with your life. Mm. Within the last 30 years, the options of what you could do realistically exploded. Is that good? Uh, I, think it's, I think it's good for those willing to go out and find what it is they want to do. And it's not great for those who were willing to just settle into something. Have things given to them. Yeah. Or expect expectation. Yeah. Or have things just, you know, fall into your lap. Some people can just have something fall into their lap and that's what they do. That's what they do. That's what they do. They'll do till they retire. And then they'll sit in that rocking chair from 65 until they die. And that used to be the dream for you know, the parents of the baby boomers. Yeah. But they went and fought two wars. They did enough. Yeah. You know, you think anybody in those foxholes was worrying about what their identity was? That's right. Absolutely not. And you know what? Maybe, maybe that comes down to what a lot of this turmoil is. A lot of people in my age group have not had a serious cause to get behind. So they're looking for one. Hmm. They're looking for one, you know, the, probably since the Vietnam war, there hasn't been a serious cause, you know, a a very aggressive cause to rally behind. Hmm. We, you know, whether you were for or against, you had a very clear cut side. Hmm. I I think we have tried, we being, I'm going to say humankind, has tried everything. And what has it gotten us? The one thing we have not tried, especially in the past 80 years, truly tried and and people are gonna might roll their eyes on this but has we have not tried love there have been certain voices that have come and said it's all about love and then we we esteem them after they die as great heroes but everyone everyone getting around the times that I think love were the greatest. Um, what do you, what do you want me to do? <laughs> you go play. You go play. Go play out there. Out there. I think that the time that love was esteemed as the greatest was the first and second great awakening 
where it was love, love your neighbor as yourself, love people, love, 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 love people. The great, the abolitionists were the, of the first great awakening, second great awakening, the, uh, the American abolitionists, the first great awakening, the, the British abolitionist voices love people to, to even, it's such a small mind to talk about attributes and features of a human being and, and take that as less than oneself. So love, and here's the deal. I, and I believe this and I want, and I want your take. If someone rolls their eyes at the concept of loving and the answer, then they've never known love ever, ever. You've never known love. And we use words or we use the word love to ascribe a whole bunch of stuff. Oh yeah. The meaning is, has been brutally unclear. I love, I love you. I love ice cream. I love hamburgers. I love, 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 love. I mean, it's, what is that? Here's, here's, um, here's what I said the other day. I wrote this. I said, we are taught from an early age that love has conditions. Perhaps it's from our cultural foundation of Greek philosophy, where the Greeks observed love and dissected it into particular applications for certain scenarios, leaving us with the concepts of brotherly love or playful love. However, if we look at the Hebrew language for our concept of love, we get one word, ahava, which is made up of three basic Hebrew letters, aleph, he, and vet. These three root letters of ahava create the root word hav, which means to give. Whenever the word love is spoken in the Hebrew Bible, there is only one word, and the essence of that word means to give. So when does love cease? When giving is no longer present. Where does love stop? At the moment a decision which plugs up the open source by which love flows. Therefore, love never ends, we end. Love never fails, we fail. Love never acts rashly, we do. Love is never mean, we are. Love never compares, we do. Love always prefers another, we don't. Love is humble, we are proud. Love honors life, we take it. Love seeks others, we seek selfies. Love is slow to anger, we are slow to calm down. Love forgives, we never forget. Love protects, we hide. Love trusts, we don't. Love hopes, we despair. Love is constant, we give up. Love's, love gives, we take. We don't know love. And the reason is, I don't think we know God. For God is love. There's a lot there. There's a lot there, but at the at the core, it's simple. It's simple, right? We talk about okay. Let's look at let's look at I love ice cream, for example. Where's the giving in that? Where's the if you love? Where's your giving? Doesn't exist. Bingo. The, the ice cream is giving you something. It's giving you pleasure. So we associate receiving with love too aggressively. Where giving should be the paramount, right? 
Totally. Like I know, I know my mother loved me. Why? Because she did nothing but give. My entire childhood, nothing but give. And even when it didn't seem like it, she was. She was hard on me when you know she let me suffer my own consequences. She was giving me something. Hmm. My mother loved me. My father loved me because they gave and they gave and they gave all they had. And, you know, I'd like to say that I, I loved my parents growing up, but by that definition, I didn't do enough. I didn't give enough. Hmm. And, you know, it's probably, it's probably pretty true of a lot of children. Fascinating. Probably pretty true of a lot of children, but fascinating. There's the hope that one day that'll be able to turn into some serious action, right? Hmm. Well, the other the op the other side of love on give is receive, but receive is a byproduct, not as a prime product. Well, and the receiving isn't necess- isn't a given. It's not a requirement. It's not intent. Yep. It's not a requirement. Mm-hmm. You can give love without it being received. A requirement would apply condition, which there is no such thing as unconditional love. There's only love and love is always unconditional. So a requirement would then put a condition upon that which has no condition. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think we've all had someone in our life where, you know, we've, we've given something of ourselves to them and it's just been, it's not been received. That doesn't mean the love wasn't there. It doesn't mean it wasn't given just mean whoever means whoever the target was chose not to accept it for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean the love wasn't there. When I was 20, I wrote this, um, after I attempted suicide, I wrote this saying in one of my journals it says where there is love, there will be no lust. And where there is lust, there can be no love. We use the word lust as bastardized as we use the word love. Lust is all of a sudden it's about sexual desires. Lust is just consuming one's own desire. That's what it means. So where there's love, there will be no lust. And where there's lust, there can be no love. That is oil and water. We have a generation that lusts. But what if that generation could love? What can you not do if you loved every person? You literally could take, it would sweep the world. If we loved every soul and spoke out and spoke in truth through love. And here's the other thing that I I believe. Truth and love are not ever to be separated. They are not. And this is the fallacy of mankind. Love is truth. Truth is love. It's the adage, would would you rather have someone be kind to you or tell you the truth? Well, this gets back to maybe what we're talking. I don't want or. Yeah. I want and. And it should be and because love is truth. You shall know the truth and shall make you free. Love gives truth permission to come forth, resulting in that freedom. So love and truth are 
undetachable. Sure. I mean, you can make it really simple, right? If, if loving someone quotations, you know, means lying to them, are you really giving them something? No, you're giving, you're giving them a load of crap. It's beautiful. You're not giving them anything. You're giving them something hollow, something false. How can that possibly equate to love? So then maybe we define what give means. The essence of give is to uplift, perhaps. Because I could give you pain and that's not love. Or perhaps maybe, but, but maybe it is, but bingo, maybe it is, maybe it is, you know, this is, this is so, this is where it gets mind blowing. Someone said to me the other day, this, I had this conversation with this guy, he said, you know, he talked about Satan and mm -hmm. evil and, and yet would we not know healing if we didn't know pain? Would we not know love if we didn't know fear? Would we not know good if we did not know first that which is not good? And isn't that ultimately love? This is, check this. All of that to bring us to the place of love. And most people reject it because they're living in fear. The ultimate two motivators, the polarities, love and fear. And even fear. It's to drive us to love. It's interesting you put fear as the opposite of love. I always went by, I always went by a, so, someone told me this once, I, I don't remember, I don't remember who, I wish I could attribute it, but um, someone asked me once, what is, what is the opposite of love? And instinctually I said, hate. Hmm. And then they looked me in the eye and said, you have to care about something a lot to hate it. Mm. There's nothing more painful than indifference. Mm -hmm. If someone doesn't love you, they're indifferent. They don't hate you. Mm. It takes a lot of effort to hate. Just like it takes a lot more muscles to frown, it takes a lot of effort to hate. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take any effort to be indifferent. Or it takes a lot of effort to be indifferent. The indifferent person. True, true indifference. To them. True indifference, right? If you're trying to be indifferent, you're obviously not indifferent. You care. But if you're truly indifferent, right? I don't know if there is such a thing. I, I think that there is unawareness of existence but i do not believe we can be truly indifferent if i showed you a picture of a child you no longer could be indifferent of that child because immediately you would form some opinion it doesn't mean sure. you love them but you cannot be indifferent sure okay perhaps where we get ignorance is bliss but i don't believe we're indifferent okay i don't even think that ex i don't we ha all have opinions I understand what you mean, mm -hmm. no flow of emotion towards. Mm -hmm. But is that even a difference? It's not flowing emotion towards. It's mm -hmm. still not. If indifference means no energy, 
I still think there's energy. It's just not going towards, but it's going towards something else. Like if I don't give energy mm-hmm. to you, so my energy is going somewhere else. Sure. sure. So then I, one cannot be truly indifferent. One only cannot give energy towards. But the minute you're aware, so it's literally like what's behind me. I have no idea. So I'm indifferent to what's behind me. But the minute I turn my head, that's impossible to be indifferent. And even my acknowledgement of thinking about what's behind me gives energy to all of a sudden what's behind me. Therefore, made you no longer indifferent. You cannot be indifferent. Okay. Oh, dude. Okay. Love this stuff. Yeah. Where uh where were we a couple of minutes ago? There was some something I wanted to love and fear uh giving lust i don't know we've gone oh oh i know i want where i wanted to go so you started talking about how how like we started you started talking about how you wanted to define give Mm. right oh yeah 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 but there's i think there's a step before that to go right so i think I'm going to put out there that the reason a lot of people aren't loving, aren't loving one another is because we don't love ourselves enough. 100% agree. You can't, you can't provide to another person if you can't provide for yourself. 100% agree. And we almost have this weird cultural overtone of if you're caring about yourself, you can't love another person. That's ludicrous. How can you provide someone else something that you can't provide yourself? You can't. Or you can't do it forever at least. If you spend every piece of yourself feeding someone else, you're going to starve eventually yeah and if it's physical food you've got a couple of days at most and according to what i just read love never ends love never fails then it's not really love what would it be then so wanting to feel better about giving yeah something and this is why I'm going to say it. I've not said it on this podcast before. Man's rejection of the concept of a loving God keeps man in constant inability to know love. I mean, think everyone's tried everything. Everything has been tried under the sun. People have opinions of everything they have not read or experienced firsthand. And the one thing they're unwilling to do, I would rather someone say, I know there's a God, but F him, I, I hate him. I reject it. I reject him flat out to his face. That's the honest person, I believe. And this might take a lot of people off listening. <laughs> and good. How much energy does the atheist spend trying to disprove daily? The agnostic, which we claim is indifferent, not knowing, but we know mm-hmm. there's no such thing. But if we really go to the source of love and love what love loves, (laughs) 
get real meta. But isn't that the love? What love loves? And what does love love? Love loves love. God loves love. That's why when Jesus was asked by the rabbis, what's the greatest commandment? He didn't say, accept me or burn in eternity. I will scorch the earth with my fire. I will come with <laughs> vengeance and smite thee. He just said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love people. That's it. I was telling someone last night, they, I mean, we, we talked all sorts of religion. The, the gal that mm-hmm. went to India, <laughs> she was uh, amazing. Think, take any human being on planet Earth. If everyone was like me, on planet earth i wouldn't want it if everyone was like jesus if everyone was like jesus take a person and say if i applied it to all what would the world be like well if everyone was like jesus we'd all be dead why because he was killed because they crucified him Hmm. i mean of course you know there's the Rising, the transfiguration. Okay, so we'd all be in heaven. We'd all be in... in... Okay, so let's, <laughs> let's just take the concept of the person that just loved people. And, and there's many people that are great. I mean... Absolutely. Totally. I'm just... We... But, but I think we're... Why I bring this up? A lot of people are probably getting pissed right now listening to this. But why I bring this up is I really think through like, well, what people are we to listen to because i have a belief if we're not willing to apply it to all we should not apply it to any whatever i believe if i'm not a will if i'm not willing to apply it to all i shall not apply it to any and if i'm unwilling to apply it to all then i must change what i believe Whew. hmm We're talking strictly about ideology, right? Beliefs or ideology. Because there's definitely a difference in circumstance that would make make not everything applicable or not applicable to all. Um, like what? Okay. <laughs> let's go let's go really superficial. My wife is much whiter than I am. Skin tone wise. She needs a lot more sunscreen than I do. There's, I mean, we've, we've talked about, we've talked about the difference, you know, the differences in subjective truths, absolute truths, absolutes in general. Mm-hmm. Um, Stay on the sunscreen though. What do you mean by that? We can use different, you know, different amounts of sunscreen and she can still get burned and I won't. Yeah, but you don't believe, you believe in the right amount of sunscreen being applied to all people for them. That would be the, that would be the concept. Yeah. Yeah, So you believe it and you believe all, it would apply to all. Yeah. But if you only said, well, I believe in two tablespoons of sunscreen per or or yeah yeah exactly square foot of skin bingo or 
or I believe some an people SPF 50. should get sunscreen. Some some people should not get sunscreen based on just their skin tone. Mm-hmm. Get or need? Well, same same size, different size of the same coin, but one could argue, no matter how dark the pigmentation or how light the pigmentation, sunscreen would benefit. <laughs> A human in in the sun, yeah, to varying lesser degrees. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's where I'm kind of kind of going with it. It's like, but you believe. So let's get back to what you believe. If you're not mm-hmm. willing to apply it to all, mm-hmm. so you believe it should be measured out to the individual, and you would measure you meet it out to all. No, I think I I think I wrap myself up in a mental mental twist here. Well, again, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. This is this is the golden rule revolution. We can bring it back to. So, but what what kind of what kind of things would you would you pose that if you can't apply to everyone, you should apply to none? There are a few easy ones, right? Like, okay, we should all have a true understanding of love, and we should all apply that. Okay, I'll get real practical. Okay. If, and I think you'll like this. Okay. And I think and <laughs> whoever's listening, this, this is going to trigger. So everyone prepare your guts. If you believe taxes should be raised on any person, then I say, then you should believe that taxes should be raised on your mom. Raise taxes on them, then raise taxes on your mom. Confiscate their possession, then confiscate your possession. Well, that's due to them, then due to you. And the minute you say, Mom, nah, mm, no, stop, foul, then I say, then you shouldn't believe the due to them. Well, that's the problem. That's the problem, right? Everybody's identities got some exempting factor. Because they're focused on doing and having. Well, yeah. I mean, what is the, what is the, what do they have or what are you doing versus we're all being? And I'm willing to apply all equal, not equal in two teaspoons. I thought that was good. Two tablespoons of, of sunscreen to every person, but no, equal to your existence, equal to your measure on earth, what you need. I think that's love to meet someone where they're at. And it's individually knowing them. Well, it has to be because if you can't meet someone where they're at, you're requiring something of them. If you're requiring something of them, then it's conditional. It's not love. So then we have based on that, which I agree, then religion has become not loving. Politics oh, it's, it's, is the they, essence of not loving. They haven't been for a long time, right? It's right. It's, it's all in philosophy has become not, well, maybe it never was loving, but certainly there was definitely periods of, of love through philosophy and, and the enlightenment. And, um, but it's become apathetic at best to love. So where is the love? Where is, you know, the very first world broadcast ever, ever the very first, and I like to qualify the very first ever, 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 ever. Was the Beatles? Mm-hmm. Yeah, playing the song "All You Need Is Love." The very first world broadcast 
is the Beatles playing All You Need Is Love. I like and, no, and nobody listened. No one listened. <laughs> and then they killed him. They killed John for writing that. We'll see. And they being whatever. That, that's that's where that's overstatement. That's where we start to start to devolve, right? Evil comes in, we submit to fear, and then we forget love in the pursuit of control. Because if love was the paramount, we would need no governments. We would need no controls. It would all be self-regulating. Self-governance would be certainly at the core of it all. It'd be flawless. There'd be nothing to worry about. Unfortunately, there is pain. There is evil. There is wrongdoing. And I think the world is on a... Maybe not the world. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it towards the United States. So I think the United States is the most incredible experiment that's ever happened throughout history. I think as a country, we're on a mission to find that true balance of societal government governance and self-governance. There are definitely some people that want to co-op that and take it to complete control. But I think the idea behind the United States is finding that perfect balance between the necessary evil of government and the freedom of self-governance. I think this has been, I think this is a good place to, that's a nice note. This has been a good episode. I think so. The longest episode I've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know how long we've been talking. Next time I should yeah, we'll track of that. We'll check. <laughs> we'll check it out. Um, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Oh, absolutely, Lucas. We will do Love more of these. Here. Thank you for listening. If you stuck it out this long, thank you. We've gone through a lot in this episode, and I think it's all beautiful and um, certainly worth contemplating. Certainly worth thinking about certainly worth introspectively feeling what it is that you believe what it is you think and then join the conversation join the golden rule revolution comment like share you can disagree and that is so beautiful because what it means is you are starting to form or articulate, or you already have your belief, and I want to hear it. I want to have the conversation. Let's get the open forum, the town hall, the open square. Let's let's build our society based on civility, love, communication, listening, humility. As always, thank you for listening. My name is Lucas Mack. This has been the Golden Rule Revolution, where inspiration and purpose come from treating people like people and nothing less. I look forward to talking with you on the next episode.